Hello, welcome back to the Wednesday Child podcast. Time for another episode now and you are joined by your co-host Sarah Ledger and Debbie Watson and we are going to chat to you today about how you can be proactive in recovery. We're a couple of weeks into the new year and it's time to look at where your momentum is at and what you can do um, in terms of influencing your progress for the year ahead and that's about the people you surround yourself with, the decisions that you make and really kind of stepping up to the plate seeing what we can be responsible for. So we'll move on to that in just a second but let me uh, introduce Sarah again. Hi Sarah how are you? Hello I'm all right but don't tell the boss Debbie because this is during the day. It's a sneaky lunchtime job isn't it? I know well it's a bit past lunch mine but you know it doesn't matter no one needs to know. No, no, no. We'll keep it quiet. It's only between you, me, and maybe a handful of listeners, but, you know, <laughs> what do they care? So, uh, tell me how your week is going so far. Big birthday in your family. Yeah, Amy, Amy was 14 yesterday. Oh, 14. Can you remember being 14, Debbie? Oh, goodness. I was quite like a meek, mild little 14-year-old, but I desperately wanted to be one of the popular ones. I can tell you that much. I remember I was into my performing arts and I was Mrs. K in Willie Russell's Our Day Out. It was the school, big school show and I got the leading lady. Very oh, exciting. bless you. Oh. Yeah, I remember. Year nine was a big year for me <laughs> because of that. And what did what did birthday look like? Because you're, you're kind of, you know, a sole parent this week, aren't you? Cause James yeah. What was it I've like? Lost... Is that the first time you've done kind of big birthday while you've been on your own with Amy? Um. Yes, it is actually. Yes, I've lost my wingman this week. He's working away. Interestingly enough, that's not James's. Um, well, it's James's first time being away from Amy, but obviously he was single parenting while she had birthdays whilst I was in treatment. Oh, so, did, um, you, did you miss birthdays while you Yeah, I did. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. So, yeah, I remember one time they let me out. Let me out. That's what I was telling what they did. Let me out to go and pick her up. I had a couple of hours so I could go and pick her up from school and t- I took her to a cafe and that was her actual birthday but then I had to drop her back and get taken back to the services so oh my goodness yeah. it makes me feel really sad just thinking about what that must have been like oh. but last night wasn't like that thanks to recovery so we had, we had a really nice time actually just the, you know we we just had a tea party and, and had some nice girl time so it was really lovely uh chick flick and uh kind of yeah don't tell the censorship people but we're actually halfway through watching high fidelity which is very much a 15 but she's into her records amy so um it's quite like quite nice so any, anyone who knows high fidelity will know why the, what the record link is so yeah so we're watching bits of that it's interesting isn't it so when you get to a certain age and you think back to all the films that you looked at and you know you watched at a certain age and like i know now my nieces are asking about the films that their mum and I talk about as the cult films like Your Dirty Dancing and Your Pretty Woman and those kind of ones and you suddenly go oh no you can't watch that because that's got a sex scene in it oh my goodness no and yeah you know I'm sure we watched that quite relatively young when we uh, definitely yeah definitely but no it, yeah it's it, it, it's like that kind of thing like what what do we censor because obviously especially in our community you know within eating disorders Amy is bombarded by diet talk and all of that kind of thing daily on all of her social media channels and all of the TV and everything like that. And yet someone says a swear word before nine o'clock and we flinch. And, and it's kind of it, it's I think it's really interesting one as to what what we just without even realizing it as adults, we let our teenagers see and then the things that we still say that they shouldn't see. Yeah, Weird. absolutely. It's kind of wanting to police certain aspects of their life and then assuming they're old enough and you know sensible enough to navigate the other bits that yeah exactly strange isn't it 
So we were going to use this episode just to kind of push on with perhaps where we started with our first episode of the year, which was was obviously talking about kind of, you know, pushing on in 2023. But I really want to try and help everyone to keep going and move that momentum forward. I know several people have been in touch to say that they listened to our first podcast episode of the year like several times just to kind of kickstart themselves. Maybe that's because they hadn't heard our voices for a few weeks and, you know, they thought they put up with us for a few more times. Yeah, (laughs) put it on repeat. Um, but, but kind of wanted to take it on and move it a step forward by looking about what we can influence and where we can ha- assert our own power in our recovery and what that what that looks like in terms of people, in terms of decision making and the processes and tactics we we put in place. What one of the aspects of that I think is is sometimes in when you've been through um, poor mental health, you can feel that sense of helplessness like like it's not possible to move forward and I think if we're not careful we can get stuck in a trap of thinking without this therapist this circumstance this member of the family this routine I cannot move forward so we can become trapped by the conditions of what we think is our own recovery requirement do do you relate to that can you see where that sometimes happens and certainly in the relationships with we have with people in the community do you see where that sometimes comes up and we have to nudge people away from those those kind of rigid thinking processes yeah definitely I think especially when it becomes a person and that that is harder to to break and to nudge yourself away from so whether you've become like you've hung your recovery on a therapist or you've hung your recovery on a sibling or a best friend um they I think they're the difficult ones to to break because it does and it ends up feeling like a period of grief like you know you've, you've literally lost somebody and or well it can be two things can it it can be that your your, your poorly self is is grieving because by hanging your recovery on somebody else you're actually not getting recovered yeah. but your true self is like really really shouting and, and, and thankful for the fact that that's happened but that's not being able to be heard I think we also then obviously have like the constant need to break routine and the constant need to break the type of food that we're eating and the constant need to break the fact that we can't eat in front of people or we have to eat at certain set times. I think they're two different things. There's the the breaking of the routines and the rituals. There's the breaking of the behaviours. Then there's actually physically breaking bonds with folks that are no longer, either no longer serving our recovery and or have become that much of a crutch yeah. they're not allowing us to move forward but they're not doing that purposefully they probably don't know they're doing that but it's, it's like anything you can relate that to peer groups in school can't you yeah, of course. go through a passage of our life where I think you know someone once said to me that people go people are in your life for like a reason or a season or a lifetime so there's kind of a you know sometimes we have a relationship with someone because it's just for a period and actually when we look back it helped us get through that particular chapter or sometimes it's just it works for a phase of our life and then others are lifetime friends that we maybe come and go from but they're, they're kind of always there some in some ways in the background or the foreground at different times that's actually a nice way of looking at recovery in a way reason season and lifetime that there often are for many of us a reason why we get into this particular mental health strand it only needs to last a season, though. It certainly shouldn't last a lifetime. Yeah. It's quite a nice little triangle to think about, you know, almost like helps to accept, accept the fact that there has been something on our journey that's led us to this particular illness. Yeah. 
but it does it can it's just there for a particular season and it's certainly not there for a lifetime but obviously that journey that's where the proactivity right. and the grit and the hard work yeah. has to really kick in yeah and, and sometimes maybe there's a necessity to look at okay there's the reason that created the season and now let me look at my lifetime and, and kind of how do I kick on how do I push forward and and I think for me in terms of having to find that push forward it was about looking well what's around me what who am I around what's going on in my life and where do I have to stop passing blame or waiting for something to happen or putting responsibility into someone else's or something else's hands so well it's because of my job that it makes it really difficult to recover oh well it's because this relationship is really tricky that I've naturally found I can't let go of this eating disorder or it's you know it's because I live in this particular circumstance I think we can all do that to some extent and it's only when unfortunately it's the cycle with eating disorder recovery because of like we talk about the kind of neural rewiring versus the nutritional rehabilitation there has to be some kind of cognitive rationality if you like that says no no I really have to deploy some kind of genuine cognitive function to this and say this isn't right this is this is not appropriate for me to lay blame at this door or that door. I have to assess where my life is at and make that kind of forward step based on what's appropriate and necessary for my forward thinking. Whereas I think when the nutritional rehabilitation hasn't happened, we stay in that cognitive, you know, you and I often often sort of say it, it's kind of that mind funk, isn't it? You know, it's, it's, it's cloudy, it's, it's difficult to get through. And then you can't rationalise what do I need to do next to get myself beyond this? And that's when we stay in that stupor and the behaviours carry on. And and I've I've been in services where I've heard people say, and I've, I can't remember saying it, but I probably have said it, oh, I'm waiting until, I'm waiting until I can see the dietitian. I'm waiting until I can see a therapist. I'm waiting until I get some occupational health. I'm waiting until I see the nurse. And And I think Obviously, when your mind is foggy, it's, it's you can't think of these things. But I think looking back and reflecting, I certainly, before I started my real and active recovery, I certainly forgot that recovery is actually a verb. It's Ooh. a doing word, you know. It's not a passive action and it's not something that happens too. It, it, it's a doing word. It's a verb. So, yeah. therefore, it implies in its absolute its heart and its nature that this is going to take some sort of effort because of the fact that it's actually a verb. Um, and nobody can do that for you because it it has to take that personal action. Not um, done to you. It is yeah. done by you. It's done by you. It's not even done with you. It's done by you because something that's with you, yeah, you're, you're part and parcel, but you're still reliant on that other person that's there to kind of push you in the right direction. And at times we need that other person, whether it's a physical person or whether it's a really good book that's leading you on the right path or whether it's a really incredibly purposeful influencer YouTube channel or whatever um we all have a guide on the side at certain points in our recovery that keeps gives us that momentum to help us get over the next step I suppose in many ways Debbie that's what we are we're someone's guide on the side yeah even when we don't realize it yeah exactly but ultimately it is a verb we have to take responsibility I used to always say to myself it's not your fault you got ill but it is your fault if you don't choose to get better 
And I know that word of choice, some people are going to listen to that and they're going to start screaming and shouting oh, and putting all sorts of emails saying, I, really, I, know. I, I really don't like that Sarah. And you get, you get the in- emails, get not me. I get what you're saying. <laughs> I, really, I take a real offence to you if I don't choose to be ill. How dare you say so, that? So you don't choose, none of us choose to be ill. None of us choose to be ill. But the one thing about eating disorders is we can be actively involved in our own recovery. And if we don't take responsibility to become actively involved, and seek all the support and the help and the toolkit and everything else that we talk about but you still have to put yourself right in the center of that that process and remember recovery is a verb and it takes action in order to get out of it on the other side you're not necessarily going to solve all of your mental health needs but by getting yourself nutritionally rehabilitated like you said Debbie and then focusing on the rewiring you are going to lessen the eating disorder voice without a shadow of a doubt and, and I think there are, as simplistic as it sounds, I think there are some tactics that can be deployed in that. And for me, it was always about, you know, we, we often talk on this, don't we, about how can we crunch it down? Because when you look at the enormity of an eating disorder, particularly if it's been a long protracted illness, you know, how do you heal 10 years of an eating disorder and hope that you're going to be better by the summer? Well, that's not an easy fix. And we all know it's not about a bottle of tablets. It's not about a magic wand. For me, and, and I'm sure for you in many ways, it's it's kind of deploying that logical brain saying, OK, I'm not as well and as recovered and perhaps as rational as I would like to be in six months time when I hope all these decision processes are going to be easier and my pushing my momentum you know, forward is going to be easier. But in this very moment, what can I do? And and I think for me, some of the stuff that really helps is saying in the next 20 minutes, what can I do that changes the way I feel and think? In the next hour, what could I do that stops where my head is spinning with this? How could I make the next 24 hours of my life be better in terms of my recovery rather than worse? In a week's time, what could I do so that I am in a better place to maintain recovery? A month from now, what would I be doing? And I know that it sounds incredibly specific and and almost a bit too trite and too simplistic but I think sometimes we have to pull it down to that so it is that kind of you know in the next half an hour rather than choosing to sit here crying or you know force myself to put trainers on to go out in the pouring rain for another bloody five mile walk I can choose to sit down and put my favorite movie on and have a couple of digestive biscuits and a hot chocolate and just calm my brain in the next 24 hours I will give myself a calming bath and a telephone conversation with a best friend who I know will hear me, will just hear me. In a week's time, I will have made an appointment with my GP or a therapist or my befriender to get me back on track. Or I will have bought my journal to start writing how I am feeling. In a month from now, I will have booked an overnight break with a friend to change my routine and at least have a cafe trip or a restaurant or a night out to just change the four walls that I'm seeing around me. I mean, you know, as I say, it's kind of, it's really simplistic, but I think sometimes we are stuck in the prisons we build around ourselves and we just have to say, how can I jolt myself out of where I am? And what are the hinge behaviours within that prison that could have the biggest impact on other behaviours? You know, we've, we've talked a lot, haven't we, about really boiling it down to a, a handful of really key behaviours that you know, if you just change that thing, 
that the possibility that would open up for the other behaviors that would follow would be huge and would be a massive recovery win. So one of my hinge behaviors was stopping weighing bread. The second I stopped weighing bread, I could walk into the kitchen and feed myself by simply getting something out of a cupboard and putting it into my mouth. The second I stopped weighing bread, it meant that it was a gateway to having sandwiches again. The second I stopped weighing bread was a gateway to my brain saying, you were weighing bread. Like that, that kind of, that was you, Sarah, you were 40 odd and you were weighing bread. And so those, you know, weighing yourself on the morning was a one off a lot of people. It's such a huge hinge, hinge behavior. Being able to put spread on things like what are the the real key things? Not just that in themselves are an important behavior, but allow other behavior, behaviors to be shifted and built upon. Yeah, adds to then that momentum and feeling like you're always actively and productively engaged in your recovery. Because when you look at the big stuff it becomes overwhelming. But when you nail it down to a handful of real key hinge behaviors, you can work on those that like you would work on anything in life. Yeah. And for me to discover some of those, I had to keep, I used to do this thing. I don't know if I mentioned it to you, but sometimes kind of thinking, what are the things that I do that I would be heartily embarrassed about if my best friends in the world you've just gone have you just had a power cut there no it's just got really dark so I'm yeah, trying to put my, my phone um camera on you know my, my uh, torch <laughs> Look, <ooh. laughs> um, sorry for anybody that's not visually seeing it and it's just listening to this in your ears so for me it was thinking about like what are the things that I do that I know if a best friend or someone that I really whose opinion I really respect could have a camera and was spying on me and they were witnessing that what would they think was really odd and what am I not I, I struggle with the word saying I'm ashamed of but at least I'm not proud that this is where I am at in life so there were certain things and for me I I made some really specific decisions some of which were perhaps you could argue against medical advice so one thing that I don't think worked for me and I don't think I've ever really talked hugely to you about doctor check-ins and maybe that's because you did a bit of outpatient where I didn't I didn't have you did day day therapy yeah, didn't you and I didn't have day services so I went straight from treatment center to kicked out and then my GP saying you know every Wednesday at 8 a.m come and get weighed and all this and I recognized sooner than he did that that was a really, really dangerous ritual. And it, because I became obsessed about what weight I would be on that day. And I I really realized that although there was good intent, and it's one of the things that when we deliver training for um, GPs and um, nurses, I, I make sure that they're understanding that that's not as sensible at all as they might think. It's I can see it. I can see the purpose of it from a safeguarding perspective, but it becomes somewhat obsessive and it doesn't always help that person move forward and for me so that was one of the things I had to pedal back from and I had to be having those conversations saying this is really not good because what I find myself doing is 48 hours before even though I was doing really well I see that appointment yeah. and I panic because you're going to tell me what that weight is and although I've been doing five days of really really looking after myself eating really well suddenly I'm thinking oh shit it's all about the numbers again yeah, and yeah. I'm going to have to kind of not be okay with that so that was one of the things I did and the other thing was cutlery and crockery I hated that I was a picker and everything was nibbly and I remember a client once saying to me and I was you know I was still only in my kind of mid-20s 
and he said um he said you're a nibbler aren't you and I thought oh my god he's, he's kind of spotted me he said he said I'm sometimes I think I should call you the little bird and I thought oh ouch ouch I'm wow. an adult and he spotted me nibbling yeah. things rather yeah. than using a knife and fork I thought my god like children you know use their fingers and eventually get told by their parents use your sodden yeah. color <laughs> and, and it was, so it was kind of you know there was the big thing on the healthcare side having the conversation with the GP and being like you know mature enough to say I get this doctor but I think and he agreed and and it, it worked for me kind of extricating myself from that relationship and realizing there was a element of codependency there on that relationship and then there was that daily behavior about stop bloody picking not yeah. that I'm saying I didn't snack. That's different. Snacking and picking. Snacking's and different. Yeah, snacking yeah. and eating throughout. But being able to pick up a knife and fork because there's a legitimacy. And what I realised, it was almost my brain saying, you're not allowed an adult portion of something. So yeah. you must pick and not put things on a proper adult plate because you're not entitled to. And and as soon as I stopped that behaviour, I was back into an adult world and thinking, oh, okay. I'm recovering. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I was a nibbler. Mine was the the not not being allowed an adult portion, but also just wanting the experience of that particular meal to last as long as possible because I'd been waiting for it, you know, for such a long time. Um, and just just making a sandwich last for like an hour. That's one of the things they do to you in services, don't they? They make you eat things in really short periods of time to try and break that feeling of things having to be this really long drawn out process it's when you should talk about the doctors as well I went for an old lady healthy heart check I am I am now of the age and um I was sat in the waiting room and it's been ages since I've been at the doctors like ages ages and I thought oh shit this is a healthy heart check oh it's blood it's blood pressure it's weight it's height Ooh. And it didn't send me into an eating disorder spiral, but my brain started to go back into that direction because that like you often say, Debbie, you have to always check in with your own recovery because, you know, you, you can, it can come back and bite you with, without any kind of real reason or rhyme. And I thought, no, come on, Sarah, you're a big girl. You're going to do this. And I walked in and I sat down. It was a wonderful nurse. She was lovely. And she went, hi, how are you doing? And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm good. Thank you. So before we start, though, can I just check? Have you read my history? And she kind of smiled and she went, actually, actually, yes, I have. I says, right, okay. And then, and she just turned to me and said, right, so I'm going to list the things that we should do, but we're only going to do the things that you're comfortable in us doing. And she read it, but because I was in control, I got on the scales. She then, rightly so, said, right, um, the thing actually was just covered by chance. She says, um, I've, I've got the numbers and I know your weight. Do you want to know it? And I was like, yeah, I've got a healthy mind. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, let me know. But I just think just that slight taking back the power, you're on about, you know, have the power of your own recovery, taking back the power, walking into that doctor surgery and just saying, have you read my um, my, my notes? Whereas in the past, when I was poorly, I might have had that of like of not saying anything because you should know, you should know, you should have yeah. read, you should know this. And then, and then I'm... Yeah, exactly. And then again, I'm not taking responsibility for, for what I need to be healthy. I'm making someone else almost responsible for that. Um, so I was very proud of myself that day. I think that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's, it's, there's a real telling point in that, isn't there? Of kind of preventing the opportunities to push yourself into a pity party spiral of saying, yeah. oh, and then the doctor asked for my, you know, gave me my weight and I never wanted that. And how dare they? And 
yada yeah. yada yada this really negative spiral but instead you got right in there gave it a head start and said before we get going here's you know I shouldn't yeah. necessarily feel I've got to tell you but I'm going to tell you because I'm a mature patient and I'm going to tell you this yeah yeah no it, it did it felt good I'll be honest it did feel good um but that is that's that that's that taking responsibility for recovery. But again, like you said, you've got to be in a less foggy mind in order to be able to do that. And that is that is it is hard work and it's it's everlasting. You know, you wake up eight o'clock in the morning and then it's still there the second you go you, you go back to bed. I was talking to someone the other day about how recovery had to be my full-time job and then I chuckled and I was like no hang on because most full-time jobs are nine to five and this was like this is 24 hours for months so this was way more than a full-time job (laughs) and it does take a while doesn't it before you suddenly realize actually it's no longer controlling every waking thought and that's that's really quite um freeing moment isn't it just to realize that you're actually living life yeah yeah definitely wow well, I hope that's been reasonably helpful for people that want to kind of, you know, move on from where we were with step one, first episode into the new year. We've talked a little bit more about some tactics, some ways to make sure that we're taking control. We're back in, as we've often said before, it's kind of getting back in the driving seat of your own life rather than being driven as the passenger um, and really sort of seeing what other things I can do in the next hour, in the next day, the next week and the next month. And, you know, it is. The simple stuff, like if the next hour is a struggle for you, well, stick your podcast headphones in your ears and, and listen back. You know, we there's plenty of content. The guy that edits our podcast was uh, saying to me yesterday about, you know, we're kind of 80 odd episodes in now and just how, um you know, quickly it's grown our audience and, and how well shared it is. And you know, I'm, I'm really chuffed about that because sometimes Sarah and I can I was going to say talk in the dark and, and Sarah really I'm literally in sat in the dark here have you seen me this is ridiculous if I turn my light off look look how dark it is that's just my torch it's just the the clouds have come in Middlesbrough is suddenly like apocalyptic outside it looks um but it, you know it's I, I think that's why I always take great heart and well I know we joke there but, but I'm bound to get a few negative messages about some of those earlier comments but actually negative or positive I think the feedback is really really helpful it helps influence what topics we focus on it helps us understand where you are in your recovery and it helps remind us sometimes that we don't get it we don't get it nailed on because there is a tendency to sometimes to slip into elements that are too close to our own experiences and that might be vastly different from some of you that are listening and so we're never kind of trying to lessen those experiences of yourselves so different perspectives is always good so keep reminding us if if you don't feel if you listen back for a handful of podcasts and you think you know I don't think they've talked about this and I'd really like to tell them what this feels like so what does it feel like to be you know um I don't know newly married and having an eating disorder you've just found out you're pregnant or you found out you'll never have children or you're you've just had an eating disorder diagnosis for the first time at 75 years of age or you know, you're a mother of a 12 year old who's now got an eating disorder, whatever it is, please do share that experience with us and help us know some of the topics that you'd really like us to talk about. And it also influences some of the resources and the training guides that that we put online. Um, We are really, really grateful for that. So that's it for this latest episode of the Wednesday Child Podcast. Thank you again for listening. Please keep messages coming in. Same the email address as always. It's hello at wednesdayschild.co.uk. And we will see you again really, really soon. Thank you.